trouble with Scotland is that it's full of Scots. <laughs> Welcome to the 21st Century Schizoid Podcast. I am your schizoid host, Cooper Cherry, on America's Most Schizoid Podcast. Today we have Scott Williams joining us. Scott is our first three-time guest. Yep, I'm the schizorific uh, <laughs> guest that's been invited back three times. Holla. So you uh, were like one away from 30, episode 30. So the timing just worked out to where just if we would have brought you back for episode 30, that would have been perfect. Oh, that would have been, yeah, right. <laughs> but so you've, you've accounted for almost 10% of my content so far, at least in terms of number of episodes. Oh, well, that's an honor. That's an honor. <laughs> So, uh, Scott, I'm, I'm kind of curious. I don't, I don't think we've ever really talked much about, I mean, we've talked about politics. We've talked a little bit about economics and, and travel and kind of your experiences overseas, but I don't think we've ever really like kind of delved into your own sort of belief structure or if you will, when it comes to politics, like, are you like, I get the sense that you're not terribly engaged. You are like, kind of like half, you know, maybe 50, 50 kind of engaged a little bit, but it's not something that necessarily dominates your world. Yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. Um, I guess really kind of where I stand is I don't feel like I really have an influence. So even if I go out and I petition and I and I, I join some activist groups and I make some really concerted effort to go you know, affect political change somehow, I feel like all my efforts fall on deaf ears. Right. And ultimately, there's bigger there's bigger fish out there moving the tides, if that makes sense. And so yeah, certainly. I, I choose to not waste my effort getting all upset and riled up about what politicians do and don't yeah. do, because at the end of the day, I can't really affect it. Yeah, So the only true. thing I can do is... It's going to sound shitty, but it's kind of from this book I'm reading, you know, the art, the subtle art of not giving a fuck. <laughs> I, I reserve my fucks for stuff that's relevant and matters right. to me. Yeah. Uh, and so I tend to not get too engaged and, and high blood pressure is bad, you know? Right. So you, you ask someone about, oh, what do you, how do you feel about, you know, whatever, a political figure and they're going to pop a freaking vein in their neck and get all mad at you. And before you know it, like, uh, that's stressful, not fun. So I steer away from it, generally speaking, but I'm. I'm, I follow it, but right. I don't engage in it. Yeah. I mean, makes sense. I, I'm one of those people that's extremely online. Like, you know what I mean? I'm on Twitter. I'm on Reddit. I, you know, I, I post a shit post a lot on Twitter in, in particular. Hmm. And so, I mean, Twitter, my Twitter feed, it's always like, there's always some kind of outrage going on or there's some breaking, you know, Trump, of course, tweets and stirs a bunch of shit up too. So. That's like half my mentions, or why not my you, mentions, but why do you do it? Do you do it for like your own personal, uh, you know, kind of relief? You know, like I'm, I'm, I've got some, you know, internal angst about this political stuff, so I'm going to vent it online. And I feel like I've done something, or is it more just for, for trolling? I mean, f- for my the my Twitter post is to just vent. I think into the ether, right. and I think I, you know, not to brag too much, but I usually have at least something pretty funny, some pretty. Sure, sure, sure. Some pretty like you know, it's snarky as fuck, no doubt. I mean, it's pretty savage. I'm, my Twitter feed is, is savage <laughs> as fuck. Like I, <laughs> I can imagine. We'll kick your front door in and fucking roust you out of bed at night. That's how that you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of the gist of it. But uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if this is still the the climate. But at one time, Twitter was the place where news broke first. You know what I mean? Because it's like there's no filter. It's like you, if you're a journalist or you're a comment, you're you're an eyewitness. Let's say you know the bombing in New York yesterday. 
if you were an eyewitness, you could fucking get on your mobile phone right there, boom, and you could twist, you could have posted a video or whatever, sure, you know what I mean? Sure. So there's that immediacy of uh, being able to reach a large audience that Whoa. I think is pretty, you know what I mean? So I follow a variety of political people, artists, entertainers, comedians, you know what I mean? So I'm just like keeping me up to date on sort of what's going on in the general zeitgeist across like people that I'm interested in, in hearing their perspective or like, you know what I mean? They can pass along news and you know what I mean? Things like that. Sure. So I think it's, it's, it's really good because it's everybody's microphone, right? So like anybody can grab the mic and have the world stage, right? Yeah. Uh, but at the same time that allows for a lot of noise and like a lot of clutter. Yeah, for you know, sure. So you got a million people saying, Hey, I'm the news. Hey, I'm the eyewitness. Right. Well, maybe one or two of those people actually are. Yeah. And they have some really real authentic frontline coverage or some very, you know, in the moment experience that they're sharing. And that's really relevant and maybe valuable to people. But by and large, I think it's, it's covered up with a lot of people going, you know? Yeah. And so it's kind of hard to pick out the nuggets of, of the people that are there. I guess, I guess that's why you have your, you follow only the people you want to follow. Right. And that's the value of the platform for, at least for Twitter. And, you know, there's definitely like snark, I think kind of rules the day in terms of the tone, you know what I mean? It's not for nuanced commentary. And I think that's where, maybe podcast like that's what the beauty of the podcast is that you know i can sit here you know we're not gonna do this today because i know you're not feeling that well but if we wanted to you know we could sit here we could have a fucking three hour conversation and really fucking dig into the nitty-gritty topics you know or like really take one subject and kind of parse that out and i think that's what the what's great about podcasts in particular and what appeals to me is you know what i mean see how far the rabbit hole really goes yeah exactly because you know i've I'm like I said, I'm coming up on about 30 episodes right now. And I mean, I get a sense that like anything less than an hour is probably too short in terms of being able to like, in terms of feel like I'm adequately providing like a robust portion of conversation. I think like at least like kind of in the 90 minute range, maybe the most ideal, like I've definitely had some longer and I'm I'm not opposed to like a three hour. I've done a couple of those actually. And they're cool. They're, you know what I mean? When the content's rolling, you know, sure, that's all good. Sure. Um, well, hey, let me ask you this. So, um, so when you're like, if you're out there on Twitter and you're, you're trolling or you're really digging in and you're, you know, giving it to someone, do you ever feel like there's any whiplash? And this is kind of along the lines of you get out what you put in, yeah. right? Do you ever uh, get any blowback? <laughs> <laughs> not really. I don't think that I had garnered the, you know what I mean? I have something like 330 followers. So, you know, who knows out of those, out of that number, how many are still active and seeing my content on a daily basis. The only time I'll ever really get any kind of backlash engagement is if I pop on a timeline because like, you know, somebody can post and then people will reply to that tweet and they that person may not even engage in the conversation but there'll be people going back and forth in the sort of it's almost like the comment section to sure. some degree that's kind of similar so i've had a couple of people come back at me there but you know it's like i'm not going to fucking engage too much with people that on twitter that aren't really you know what i mean because it's like if you're not coming from a place of good faith I'm not going to fucking waste my time with you, you know? Do you feel like you're coming from a place of good faith, or are you, uh, you on a rant? Uh, honestly, on, tw- on Twitter, I'm probably more open, you know, I'm, look- I'm attacking, I'm, like, ranting more so than, which is, you know, exactly why I probably wouldn't fucking deal with responding to someone on there. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I guess the, the the older I get, the more I conserve my energy, if you will. You know, so like I got to go throughout my day, and I got to like I have to argue with them, like let's say five people throughout the day. You know, yeah. If, you know, the guy at Seven Eleven, the gas pump's not working. He doesn't want to turn my pump on again. I'm gonna have to, you know. Okay, argue with that guy a little bit. You know, they're gonna get my <laughs> my. Uh, they're gonna lose my credit card at the you know restaurant. I'm gonna have all these little incidences that I'm going to have to engage with people and with a potentially negative outcome. Yeah. And I, I'm real sensitive to negative, uh, interactions. Oh, I, I am too. Like yeah. It, I don't right? have time for it. Uh, and so I feel like, uh, you know, if I'm, if I'm going to go out there on Twitter to go just fucking put some shit out in the world, just start slinging mud that it is going to come back to me in some way that I can't quite imagine, Yeah. but I know it's going to come back. And so my fear is that, uh, you know, I should probably reserve my, uh, my engagement for, real life people right in front of me that need it you know yeah that makes um, sense i don't know I, i'm i'm kind of curious i wanted to i kind of t- went off on a tangent there with social media but i'm kind of curious to hear like wh- what would it what do you feel could you even speculate on what would it take for you to feel like you had to get politically engaged and maybe not even at the level of you know you're going to be campaigning for whoever like let's say Bernie runs in 2020, like not necessarily something that's going to have you out there knocking on doors for Bernie, but like, what would you do? What would it take for you to get out there for like city council or even like the state legislator, like your state rep? Well, that's a good question. Uh, I think I'm probably just not politically motivated. I'm just not. Not at all. Too comfortable. I mean, it's, it's not so much that it's that, I'm disenchanted with the ability to actually do something. So yeah. like, you know, if we kind of back up this last election, boy, I, I really thought a, uh, I thought Bernie had the heart of the people, you know, and maybe I'm a Bernie guy. So that's why, oh, you know, you tend to see what you see, what you want to see. But just from like a stir in the ether of the, if that's our word in the, in the ether of, of, uh, of the population and just people. And, you know, I really felt like you know, people were resonating with, uh, this, this either, either Trump or Bernie, right? So yeah. that was going to be a real logical uh, face off, yeah, yeah, face off, right? And then to have it really, the DNC come in and really, you know, it seems like swipe the election and whatnot uh, was pretty disenchanting because we didn't even get the, the, you know, so Trump, for for lack of a better word, was the was the people's champion for the <laughs> for the rich or the poor, or the you know, or the you know, whatever his polarized base, and then and Bernie was the champion for the, you know, the hippy dippy or you know, whatever you want to say yeah uh and so to 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 see that kind of evolve then i got real excited thinking actually hey this is a representation of actually the the people that are you know when they make up the demographics of our country and then to have it kind of whitewashed out and taken over by politics as usual was really disenchanting to me and that is has really undermined any effort i want to give yeah. to uh to do anything and so you know, the, if you've got to back up, you know, what would it take for me to be engaged? Well, I would have to feel like my engagement was worthwhile. Right. You know, so on some microcosm of a spectrum, sure. Like I'm going to go, you know, play politics within a, a social organization. Okay. We can be a big fish in a small pond and you can en- enact some change. So that makes sense. But to really get out there and, uh, and work on the, on the political spectrum or the political, you know, field that we have, it just it's too big it's too vast got too many people out there jockeying for position and there's nothing i can do so i would rather hold back and i'd rather instead of giving a hundred bucks over here to a campaign i'd rather find 
man, 50 people that are standing at a stop line, flying a sign, homeless people, you know, people experiencing homelessness, right. uh, and give them each a $2 bill. Yeah. That would be far more validated, far more satisfying for me on a personal level. Because I feel like, man, maybe maybe I didn't en- enact any huge world change, but I, mean, I bought that guy a beer today. And you know <laughs> what? Dude, I made his afternoon a little bit better. You yeah. Know, he's going to have a nice tall boy now. Um, and so if I can participate in a very small way that's got a, that's got a, a measurable uh, impact that I can see and feel, oh, yeah. man, I'm motivated. Okay. So that's what it would take. I don't see that necessarily happening on the political spectrum. Right. Well, I think definitely, like I said, at the national level, but I mean, at the level of the city of Austin, for example, you know what I mean? Or like even the direct, you're like, you're talking about direct action of giving a homeless person money. You know what I mean? I think that's a great, that's a great place to start, you know? And I don't know what you're, I don't know where you, I mean, you kind of mentioned being sort of on this on sort of the Bernie end of the spectrum, but like, do you consider, what would you, do you classify or do you even think about classification in terms of like liberal versus conservative or libertarian, like left, like, like real leftist as opposed to liberal? Do you kind of, sure. do you well, feel, do you feel tugged in any direction? Well, the, the, the classic answer is I'm a, a fiscally conservative, socially <laughs> a liberal, right? But the, so, the, the two kind of like a centrist. Yeah, the, the two don't the two don't really marry. You know, yeah. that's a, it's a nice idea, but you can't pay for social programs with with all liberal politics, and you can't you can't uh, you know you can't go the other direction and take all these conservative politics and expect to have social programs. You know, so you can't re- you, you, there's not really a way to marry the two because they're oops sorry uh, because they're working against each other. They, they both want money for different things, right? And so you can't use that same money for two different things, not necessarily. Um, so, I mean, I certainly, I certainly swing left. I mean, I live in Austin. We're all gay and hippie and <laughs> granola and bicycle and, you know, I mean, everything, uh, everything liberal. So I, I, I tend to swing that direction, but, um, I don't know, man. I just, uh, I feel like using time, energy, and effort and my own mental capacity to focus on politics is just a waste of it, man. Yeah. I'd rather po- focus on interpersonal relationships with people, you know, I'd rather go, you know, uh, spend three hours with a group of, you know, a few people and have a really good involved experience with them than spend three hours protesting at the Capitol and feel like my voice is unheard. Yeah. So. But what if there was a, what if there was a group like, uh, so I don't know if you're familiar, but there's uh, actually this organization, the DSA, Democratic Socialists of America. There's a, (laughs) there's a chapter here in Austin and uh, their focus is, like I said, on sort of the city council level, the state rep level, not even going into like state senators like, you know, John Cornyn or, or Ted Cruz, not even fucking with like, because that's so that's getting beyond like where we can make probably even a measurable, uh, you know, impact on things. But at the local level and so what they had done and I think they were out Sunday actually trying to knock on doors and bring awareness to like some some healthcare related things, um, maybe spreading the message of like what, what a more socialized or me- form of medicine would be, you know, so, sort of an advocacy like that. But they had also done things like having a place where they would, you know, fix people's broken taillights, for example. Like you could come in, they'll fix your taillight because, like, you know, that's a how a common thing is for how people get stuck, you know, is a taillight's sure. broken. 
So I think that's a really that's a really nice idea, and I, I would I would really get behind something like that, but not for any political reason, really, because that seems like a good social thing to do. Like, it, right. you know, if I had to subscribe to any one particular philosophy, it's basically the golden rule. It's basically karma. You know, be nice to people. People be nice to other people, and then you get nicest going around. Right. It works in reverse. You know, so to me, I would see a lot of value in. Uh, hey man, let's set up a shop and try to get a bunch of taillights fixed today. And you know, maybe right. we all got to donate a day of our time and you know, you know, a few bucks here and there. But it's it's not this big financially driven, you know, event. It's really just you know, and, and it's not uh, it's not shooting for the stars. We're gonna take a real base base level problem, which is people getting pulled over for having a stoplight, and then they kind of get sucked down the rabbit hole of tickets and bills and, you know, whatnot. Right. And we can nip this in the butt for 20 bucks, get a new taillight, and then they're out. Okay, great. You know, that seems like a really worthwhile thing to do. Um, and I would just do it just because it feels good, man. Right. You know, like to me, they're, 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 the most selfish motivation is how does something make you feel, right? And so, like, if I give a homeless person two bucks, right, the, the – yeah, on the surface, okay, it's nice. I gave him two bucks, but the reality is, I'm if I'm being perfectly honest here, I'm doing that because it makes me feel good, you know. And so there's really it's a selfish, driven motive to do that. It's not like oh, I'm gonna stamp out hung, you know hunger by giving all these guys right. two bucks. It's no nah, man, I'm I'm feeling really nice in my car with AC over here. I may be feeling <laughs> a little guilty, you know, for having this kind of this privileged Western lifestyle. So boy, what I'm gonna I'm gonna you know try to satiate my guilt a little bit and give them two bucks, you know? And so that's the real honest reason if I'm trying to be perfectly transparent sure. with why I would, uh, with why I do that. So in, in that same vein, that's what would motivate me to try to help out with a stoplight event, Yeah, you know, or, or, or a whatever, well, because it just makes me feel good. Right. But I don't really have any motivation beyond that. And that's, it sounds kind of selfish and shitty to say, but I think a lot of people are like that. You yeah. Know? Well, I think, I mean, that's sort of, and we talked about this last night whenever we were chatting about, you know, different topics, but about that, I guess, sort of the tautology element of it, like the chicken and egg. It's like, you feel like you, you feel like you're powerless. So that's how you behave, right? Instead right. of feeling like, you know, I'm going to take this action locally. I'm going to, I'm going to focus on my world, my world, my immediate world around me and make that as great as possible. And help those people that are close to me or whatever in my own city or my own neighborhood, right? Well, I think a real subjective part of, you know, a real valuable part of, you know, I guess working on some larger cause is how you feel about yourself, you know? So you get motivated and invigorated. You feel like you're doing something, working on something greater than yourself. So you get this kind of inner lift, if you will, you just kind of little inner motivation and, that's probably really valuable. That's probably a driving factor for people. You know, yeah. Maybe, maybe even more so than the, uh, <coughs> excuse me, maybe even more so than the, uh, the actual working in the big event, you know, but just saying, Hey, I worked on this event, get some camaraderie, you know, you meet some fellow, um, you know, fellow advocates or something. And, and that's got some real value, but it's subjective. It's just, it's how you feel, you know? But if you're all kind of working on something together, you get a little synergies from feeling good, and you make some friends, and you whatever. Well, I mean that's got some value, but I really don't think the value is changing the political winds and actually affecting big change. All that stuff is done by big money, and those decisions are already made. And fuck you, little man. Yeah. Generally speaking, 
So if I'm going to be a little man out there working, I'm going to be working because, hey, it just makes me feel good. Not because I actually am going to allow myself to believe that I can change the big, the big stuff because it just, big money won't let it happen. The pessimistic point of view, I get it. You know, why try? Yeah. You know, uh, but, you know, this whole, and it kind of goes against the notion of, uh, you know, the basics of our democracies, right? Taxation without representation is not, right? It's not, a, it's not a good model, right? So people have to feel heard. And if we feel heard, we feel like we participate in the process and we're more in, 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 uh, inclined to follow the rules. It's the basic premise of how our society works, right? If we can vote, then we all had a voice in creating the rules. Therefore, we are more inclined to follow the rules. But the reality is, yeah, we affect a little bit of change, but not enough to... To tip the scales in a yeah. real... I mean, if that was the case, like a broad yeah, we wouldn't movement. even be considering this tax plan. This yeah. tax plan helps, not, you know, and like not to get all political, but like... Well, you can absolutely get... Get, get political, well, man. <laughs> you know, I shy away from that stuff because it gets people polarized. And again, I, I just don't really give that big a shit about yeah. it. But the tax plan is a good example of something that like is actually not really good for anybody. A very small portion of the population the tax plan is good for. Uh, so if we really had control, we wouldn't really let that happen. Yeah. But we don't really have control. We have the illusion of control, right? So the illusion of control keeps us at bay, right? But the reality is what's really going to happen is whatever the big money wants to happen. And you can't fight big money because big money is big power, right? Yeah, I mean... You can fight it, you can't win against it. <laughs> Maybe that's a better way to say it. I don't know. I, I think in the case of Trump, though, it sort of shows that, I mean, Clinton raised way more fucking money than, than sure. Trump had. I mean, Trump was like, he spent his money probably smarter and had better strategies and i mean i think to me i mean that that's the biggest challenge for any type of like liberal or or even leftist movement is that the like your base like whenever you come out of the factory as a human being like your base shit operating system is the basic tenets of like the right wing you know judeo-christian sort of ethos right sure. whether you're like that's kind of the world that you're born into and kind of you know what i mean well, you and I being privileged Western white males, uh, sure, that's kind of what we're born into. But I wouldn't say that I wouldn't say that everybody's born. Well, into that's that. what I'm saying. Like in the U.S., predominantly. I mean, I think even people that are not so not as privileged are also indoctrinated with, you know, things like the American dream and these broader narratives that we try to tell ourselves to keep this whole facade sort of running. Mm-hmm. Versus, like, if you're born in Riyadh, you know, you're running a, you're running different software starting off. And your sure, worldview sure. is, at least to start off, based on a, a different, you know what I mean? You're running Linux over there. We're running... Yeah, we're, we're, <laughs> we're culturally programmed. The, the minute we're, we're, I guess the American ether is probably a good way to say it. Yeah, we're, we've got some kind of Western programming and that kind of thing. Um, so I'd agree with that. I don't know. I just don't know how that all... I was just saying that, so, so what that program is, like, so your, your basic, your base model, right, is running, like, this very simplistic worldview of black and white, and things are very simple, like, those people are bad, these people are good, you know what I mean, it's a very, it doesn't take a lot of sophistication, right, it eliminates, you're trying to, the world is simple, it's black and white, those, those fuckers over there are bad, we are good, right, that's the, that's like, boiling it down to its, you know, ultimate structure is 
is that sort of thinking versus a more nuanced sort of grayer morality, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Well, I think it just comes with education, you know. I mean, it, it depends on who you're surrounded by. You know, if you're if you're raised in a really um, well-educated, fluent family, you might <coughs> you might have a broader uh, worldview. You might right. you might look at stuff uh, from both sides. But if you're raised in a really uh, you know in a in a poor or or a polarized demographic, right, then you're going to be raised with these pretty you know narrow viewpoint and it will be more simplified and they're good and we're bad or we're, we're good they're bad whatever um but i think that just kind of comes from education and kind of personal evolution to kind of to, to see just how complex everything is yeah. and there's not necessarily someone's right someone's wrong and i mean there there you know i think the whole thing with trump the whole blowback was that he represented this huge chunk of anti uh anti big government or anti-system so he basically represented hey I'm not a Washington elite, right? I'm not a, a career politician, which is true, but he's still fucking rich, man. <laughs> you know, and so that's you know, I'm the money is the great divider. You know, it's not how you swing politically; it's how your checkbook swings. Because you know, money's always going to vote for more money. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, rich Democrats are just as bad as rich Republicans. They're all rich, right? And so, you know, is. I guess the real the real political politics is not so so much left and right for me as it is up and down. It's socioeconomic far more than it is left yeah. and right politically. But then you see a lot of, I mean, honestly, I mean, the demo like the Democratic voters are probably eh, I don't know they're probably more educated. I would think I'd have to look at the numbers, and I think a lot of you know a lot of the Republican base is rural America. Like a microcosm of it is this example of the whole situation in Alabama right now with Roy Moore. I don't know if you've been paying attention to this at all. I sent you a video. So there's yeah, where they're still they are still supporting him in spite of all of his crazy allegations and yeah. everything. Yeah, um, yeah, it's kind of weird. We've kind of got this like blind acceptance of like uh, men abusing power in one hand, and then we've got this huge backlash with the social justice warriors on the other hand saying you can't do that, but. You know, like, I don't know, I don't know how, I don't really know how those two ideas are coexisting right now. You know, on one hand, like, you know, you, we've got to be so sensitive to everybody's rights and freedoms and whatever, you know, and you know, even, even just taking, you know, recently we've had all these women uh, uh, with their allegations of sexual misconduct and whatnot, and that's really important stuff and needs to be heard, right? And so on one hand, you've got, uh, you know, the, the Minnesota senator. Um, yeah, Al Franken. Yeah, Al Franken over here getting getting lynched out in the street because he had some inappropriate stuff. But, you know, by contrast to our president bragging about it on tape, <laughs> you know, they're just two ends of the spectrum. Right. And how can they, you know, how can you lynch one guy and not the other? Well, that says that there's something else going on beneath the surface. Yeah, so it's not, absolutely. So that's all smoke and mirrors. The, oh, sexual misconduct is bad. Oh, you know, that's kind of, people maybe don't really feel like that. You know, so it's maybe kind of smoke and mirrors because if they were really vehemently against it, well, then it seems like we'd see more blowback from these huge political figures. Uh, it's either that or the money and the power is so fucking strong that it makes everything else irrelevant, which I think that's probably the more likely scenario. Mm, I mean, I, I, 
I'm not trying to underscore the amount of influence that money has on politics. I don't, not, not at all. Like I don't want to diminish in everything, not just in politics. So even before politics, Trump had money and he was a piece of shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, you know, you, you can pretty much buy for the most part, you can pretty much buy your way out of whatever. Yeah, absolutely. You You've got enough money to so that kind of drag out what, the, you know, the legal process. Well, that's kind of goes back to what we were saying. Ultimately is that, why fight it? Because you're going to spin your wheels. Like big money does whatever the hell it wants, you know? And so you can spin your, you know, if it makes you feel good to spin your wheels, fighting big money, go ahead, knock yourself out. But for me, it feels exhaustive and laborsome. Like I'm going to get nothing out of it. And then it's going to make me feel shitty because I, <laughs> I didn't do any good, you know? Yeah. So, Oh God, I'm just exhausted. Even thinking about, I'm <laughs> thinking about doing something for, for against, uh, you know, the big tides of, politics or money just exhausts me i mean i i'm sympathetic to that viewpoint i absolutely because what's a terrible viewpoint as as engaged well as engaged in the political sphere as i am it is like you know what i mean it it doesn't feel like nine times out of ten when i look at my twitter feed i don't it's not filling me with positivity like oh there's great look at this great thing that happened in the world today you know what i mean it's not it's like 99 percent of is this shitty thing happened well, that's also product of the news because, you know, from, from basic evolution, we, re, you know, we're taught to remember negative things more clearly and, and more, you know, with, with more impact than we are positive things, right? So, like, if you pet a dog and it's soft, okay, whatever. If you pet a dog and it bites you, okay, well, then I'm going to be real, real leery of that Hesitant dog. And I'm going to remember... Yeah, you know, I maybe only got bit a few times in my life, but I remember all of them. <laughs> I can't tell you how many cute dogs I've pet, right? But I don't remember every dog I pet because it's just soft and it's nice and there's no harm, right? Uh, and so by that same logic, we're programmed to really pay attention to negative news. So so news is skewed in this kind of negative, uh, you know, this kind of negative direction. And that combined with the 24-hour news networks of just pumping, you know, they've got to insatiate everything. Or satiate, or whatever you know, make it insatiable. I don't know. Or what's the word I'm looking for? Got to make it. You know, the 24-hour news basically. If it bleeds, it leads. Is an old journalistic. Yeah, uh, yeah. So they, so they're cliche. really puffing up a lot of stuff and making stuff. So, oh, sensationalize, sensationalize right. is I guess the word I'm looking for. So these uh, these these news networks really pump up the negative and they make it sensational, and that's what sticks because that's what sells news. Right. And then the byproduct of that is that we're sitting here kind of with this huge stream of negative information right which i mean that can't be good so right fuck, man, just get away from all this <laughs> just go hang out in a jungle and you know see you know so I, i'll tell you one of the best things that i think um for for anyone that is experiencing some kind of we'll call it western plight you know my 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 damn big mac was cold and they Gave me a root my beer. fish. Yeah, my filet fish wasn't totally filet. <laughs> did you hear? Actually, did you hear about that's like Trump's fucking had a go-to McDonald's order? It was like a fucking fucking Big Mac and like two filet of fish or something. Oh my! During like the campaign, you're like, how the fuck is this guy even alive? He's like overweight. He doesn't exercise. He eats he eats fucking McDonald's. And he's still alive. Like, what oh, the f- how has this fucking guy not had cancer? <laughs> like, really, dude? Jesus fucking Christ, yeah, man. Well, one's a lot. You know? <laughs> right? Um, God, that's funny. I didn't know what the hell I was saying before you, but whatever. You were just um, talking about how overwhelming, you know, or sort of 
inundated with negative news, and that's what sells. And that, I mean, that's a pro- problem with the oh, for-profit media, cure, right? Well, yeah. So I guess what I was saying is like the, yeah, the ultimate cure for that, cure for that for the Western stuff, plight. Yeah, is to spend a little time not in the fucking West, man. Go to a bumfuck jungle village somewhere and see someone's real plight. Check out the guy that's pulling a freaking, you know, pulling a, a, a two-wheel wheelbarrow down the street on a crutch. <laughs> right. And you tell me if your life is shitty. Yeah. You know, and that guy's happy. Man, he's happy he's got a wheelbarrow. You know? Like before Very I had true. a wheelbarrow, I was carrying this shit on my back. But look <laughs> at this shit. I got this wheelbarrow going. Uh, and that is stuff that gives you this huge appreciation for what we have over here and really kind of recenters your perspective. You know, so, you know, if I, if I go, if I travel and I see, uh, you know, if I see someone that is struggling with what I would consider real plight, uh, then I come back here. I'm like, dude, fuck our politics. Fuck. That is all just irrelevant because it's, 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 uh, it's just pales in comparison to what's really going on in these other little nooks and crannies of the world. So I'd rather spend time in the nooks and crannies and have some kind of, uh, some kind of influence and, and, and really, you know, some impact than I would up here in the, the, the rat race. So, I mean, my counterpoint to that would be, and I, you know, I'm very nihilistic with my old, ultimately, you know, I'm pretty much like, you know, I don't believe in anything necessarily, or I'm like, super skeptical uh you know to the nth degree but i still think of examples like the gay rights movement or civil rights i mean those people they they created change right i was thinking particularly like the acceptance of homosexuality or gay rights gay marriage like think about where that was like in 1990 sure you know what i mean i that's the most in, that's the most incredible social change about it. Something that I've ever seen in my lifetime. I mean, you're you're exactly right. And that, I mean, that undermines what I'm saying. That you know, why try? Yeah, but mind. I mean, dude, trust me. I totally. It's easy. That's it's fucking the seductive lo- logic of capitalism is to atomize you and place you in your little home with all your creature comforts, right? Right. Creating a bunch of needs. Like you got your. You have that Alexa now. Yeah, 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 right. It's like you didn't need that shit before, but now mm-hmm. capitalism has created this other need. Like, so it got you to spend another 175 bucks for Alexa. I was like, like 24.99, <laughs> dude. They subsidize that because they know it's your, your portal to order more shit. Exactly. So. Alexa's pretty much free, dog. <laughs> Get your portal Sorry, to order. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, your Alexa picked up. Oh my God, that's funny. Alexa, shut up. No one's talking to you. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not sure. I know you're not sure. Just be quiet. That's fucking hilarious. Man. That's uh, just just for the listeners. That is not mine. That's my roommate's. <laughs> Whatever, dude. I don't. I don't really fuck with that kind of shit. Why's it got your name on it? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um. Yeah. So consumerism is a whole other thing that uh, you know. It just it pumps these little pieces of serotonin in your brain, you know, and it's kind of you know you. You get excited. You see something online. You have to have it. You can you can order it, and then you get to wait, and then you get to then it comes to your door, and it and it just pumps that all sweet these little, dopamine rush. Yeah, it is. A, it's a, but you get it all along the way because you get it the minute you see the thing you want. Then you get it when you find it online and you order it. Then you get it when the package arrives. So like it is a nonstop uh, process to like get that dopamine over and over and over with every transaction. And I mean, 
oh my, that's a whole nother rabbit hole of conversation. The way Amazon's taking over the world and you got, uh, got us all lined up like little minions, just one click, one order, tell Alexa. Hey Alexa, order these guys some, uh, a big tube of lube. <laughs> Let's see what she comes back with. I have to unplug that fucking thing. <laughs> uh, she's still talking. Well, um, hmm. yeah, consumerism is a whole other thing. It, Com- you know, commodity fetishization. Uh, I can't. Dude, I can't say fetishism. What is it? No, fetishization. That's it. Fetishization. Yes. Commodization. Fetishization. Commodity fetish. Fuck! I can't. Commodity fetishization. Yeah, pretty much. Fetishization. Fuck! I can't say it anymore. God damn it! Buy me that Amazon one more time. I had I had a problem last week with my guy. I couldn't say fetish. I can't do it. I can't fucking say it. Fetishism. Fet. Fetishization. Oh, fetishization. Yeah. So fetishize, fetishizing, fetishizing things. Yes. Fetishization. It, it, that's like, oh, this. I want this thing. For whatever reason, like you're sort of, you sort of attack, you know, describing mm-hmm. it a little bit, that like kind of dopamine rush that you mm-hmm. get. But it's also happening too. I think, uh, like socially. So that's, uh, you know, you know, we, we're finding these new ways to kind of access this dopamine. So it used to be just uh, basic, you know. Uh, cigarettes, alcohol, drugs, and sex, right? It's kind of how we access these dopamine portals, right? Yeah. Well, now we're, we're accessing it through shopping. Fuck yeah. Through, through posting. So you, you, oh man, I had, I had a hundred likes on my thing that I posted. Oh, every, every like is a little shot of dopamine. Yeah, right? definitely. And so now you've got this kind of unfettered access to the social media, which is really a dopamine driver. Yeah. Right. So that's this whole other uh, thing kind of sucking us into this, this world of of not us, you know, this kind of the whole the simu the simulation, man. The simulation, right, right. I've um, been on that fucking simulation role, and not okay. So there's there's two simulation theories that are totally separate. Like there's one that's based in the humanities. Um, there's a thinker Jean Baudrillard who I've been like harping on the last like three or four episodes. So his sort of theory or idea is that we're so saturated in media images and it has created effectively a simulated reality that we experience. And if you look at something like social media, for example, that's a simulated sure. simulated social sphere or interaction or, you know, like, I forget, like in ancient Greece, whatever they called the, the market or whatever, you know, I forget what it's called. The bizarre. Yeah, so you would have, like, you know, people would go out there in the, the public sphere, the public space. So that that has now been simulated. It's all simulated online. And we interact with people that way versus direct one-to-one interaction in the quote-unquote real world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really, I tend to shy away from social media more than I should. I mean, it, well, I don't, eh, I don't know, dude. <laughs> well, Maybe you're better off for it, honestly. Well, I'm just saying, you know, I'm, since I, I'm, I'm a realtor, right? So I make yeah. my hands shaking, shaking hands, kissing babies, right? And, and I've got to have some certain amount of social yeah, presence, presence out right? there, yeah. To get some referrals or whatever. But right. I don't Instagram. I don't Snapchat. I don't, 
got rid of my MySpace. <laughs> you got rid of your MySpace. <laughs> Damn, my dude. MySpace. That's rough. Um, but so all I really do is Facebook, but that's kind of becoming the antiquated, uh, you know, the, the dinosaur. Yeah, dude, that's what the... that's what grandma's on now. I know, That's what's dude. funny is, like, all the kids are on, like, Snapchat predominantly, and I guess in- Snapchat and Instagram are probably the most popular platforms. Right, and I don't do that. I don't do any of them. So that's gonna bring us to bring us to take another interesting little thing. It's always fun to talk about oneself, but um, <laughs> they're, um, they they've got this new micro generation now. You may have seen it out there called Xennials. And oh so yeah, between I've heard of it. This is kind of. I think I might fit into this little. Yeah, you're right gap. there on the cusp. I think it's supposed to be like uh, seventy nine to eighty three, is kind of when they were pegging it. But basically, the idea is that you came from an analog childhood, right, with a digital adulthood. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was kind of fascinating read the other day that like, Oh, I'm a niche. I'm just a small little micro generation. It's just real, it's clickbait, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, maybe, it's, maybe I mean, read about it, but it was, I think it's interesting though. I think it's got some truth to it. You know what they're, you know, they're just saying that we've got some, some effects of analog childhood that allow us to relate to people older than us. And we've got enough experience with the digital age and the modern age that we can still relate to some people younger yeah. than us. So it kind of puts us in a in a unique position to go laterally with regard to age. Yeah, you know, we or I'm sorry, I guess vertically we can go you know up and down in the right. age spectrum easier than maybe a millennial. Like a millennial will have a really hard time relating to someone that you, you yeah and that, I, that, I don't know grew up with like a you know their whole I guess media consumption would be so you know there was abc nbc fox everybody had a landline you played right. outside right rotary telephones yeah I, mean, <laughs> I fucking forgot about rotary telephones. yeah you know but you but you know what they are if you saw if you saw one you'd know how to use it yeah whereas someone 15 years younger than us wouldn't right they would know. be like what the fuck is that yeah or, or they'd be like okay i, I still can't. remember that because you like turn it and you have to fucking wait for the dial to come back oh. you have a bunch of sevens eights and nines and it takes you forever fuck yeah um i mean i don't know what to do with all that information other than just be aware of it what i i think was pretty interesting i read an article that was saying you know you were talking about like the dopamine association with likes and things like that but this was even pointing out the rush of it's sort of like playing a fucking slot machine every time you even go to like look at Twitter or Instagram to even see if you have a like or to see what new content is posted because it could be this great content that you like or it could be this whatever and so that like that's sort of what hooks you is this like oh it's it could right. be something great could be something bad so you never know so that like unknown that kind of excitement yes right the minute you hit the app before it loads <laughs> that element of anticipation <laughs> exactly yeah. right um well i guess i guess what i was saying i guess earlier is that i feel like a lot of society is structured around chasing these dopamines right uh and, and they, they found a way to kind of monetize it in a lot of different ways yeah and so now we're kind of victims of this for lack of a better term drug addiction Right. And that comes through like all the regulars, the drug, cigarette, sex, alcohol. And now through the, the social media, through the, you know, through different, um, you know, different other. I don't know what you so where, to where you're totally and that's the thing, like, I think this very much ties back into this idea of political engagement is because now they have the power to distract you at every like now it's not just going and drinking or smoking or whatever now it's like sitting on your couch looking at fucking twitter or facebook or 
browsing Amazon or whatever right. the case may be. So you're like every second of your life is broken down into this consumptive right, right. space. So it really takes your power away. So, so to bring it all super full circle, I think the only way to really break that cycle is just get the fuck out of Dodge, man. Get down to a little fucking jungle. It's a primitive, primi- what is it? Primitive little existence. I mean, get down to some little nook and cranny in the world where your cell phone doesn't work. Fuck your Instagram photo. You're yeah. not there for the photo. Change your reason for being there. Uh, and then you get, uh, you get, you, you get some perspective. You're like, man, what is it like to just exist unplug, right? right? To talk to the guy at the fruit stand when you order your little mango thing Yeah. to like talk to the cab driver that's going to take you over to this place to like, man, just appreciate that I'm going to sit under a tree and like, it's not a Corona commercial. <laughs> it's an actual fucking tree. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so I think, uh, you're so Dude, you know what's funny is this does bring things sort of full circle because you're talking about engaging. You're trying to engage with the real, but right. it's no longer possible. It doesn't even exist. Well, you have to doesn't go even far exist away anymore. to do it. Yeah, you got to like, uh, and, and you can't just get out of the, like, you have to get away from cell phone signal. Yeah. Well, that's pretty hard, <laughs> you know? Uh, and because, you, you know, we don't have the, the ball to really turn our cell phone off. Not really, you know? You can do it a little bit. You can flirt with the idea of like, yeah, I'm turning my cell phone off. I'm going, I'm, I'm going off the grid, man. I'm going off the grid for lunch. <laughs> you know? Watch out. Or I'm brunch. Gonna, yeah. Or brunch would be a better, because that's super right, privileged. I love fucking brunch, though, dude. dude By the brunch, way, you should, go, you should go check out. There's a place called Holy Roller. It's like it? some fucking, it's downtown. It's, uh, I've checked out the menu. It looks fucking it's like some hearty ass. That's that's oh, my my shit. Slabs of bacon and shit. Yeah, dude. I don't want to fuck around with like, you know, a little uh, croissant, or, you know, a little <laughs> cucumber sandwich. I want to fucking like, give no, me some fried chicken, egg and some cheese, fucking yeah. eggs, waffles, and like a fucking three, Bloody Mary to wash it down. I say like three Bloody Marys, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But exactly. this is commodity fetishization. Yeah, 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 fuck. Exactly. Damn it, damn it. I mean, just one Bloody Mary. That's all I want. <laughs> Take my cell phone away. Uh, yeah, I can't ever really unplug either. So I flirt with the idea of unplugging. Well, yeah, I mean, you're a realtor, drive. so you're right. really fucking, you live by that phone. Yeah, so it's it's kind of, for me, it's the Hotel California. You know, I can <laughs> check out any time I like, but I can never leave, you know. it's a, I, I, Warm smell of Kalita. Yeah, yeah. Warm smell of Kalita <laughs> rising up through the air. Uh, uh, you can edit that out. No, we'll, <laughs> I can fucking leave that serenade Whoa. in there, baby. Woo, woo. Um, yeah, so I don't really know how to do it other than to, to really get far away and get remote. And even then, I still feel that I'm plugged in a good but chunk of the time. Even then, though, too, it's like you have to come back. You've got to come back. You can't stay. I mean, I guess technically you could stay, but you're not going to, right? Well, now you've been programmed, too. Like, so, so the other thing, too, it becomes an addiction, right? So like, we are addicted to getting dopamine at all these different levels. So I'm going to get dopamine from... Some of the drugs and alcohol that I consume, I'm going to get some dopamine from ordering my Amazon. I'm going to get some dopamine from checking my, my Twitter account. I'm going to get some dopamine from posting on Facebook. I'm going to get, do- you know, got all Ordering these- this thing on Amazon. Yeah, yeah, right. So I get all these little little ways I get dopamine. So if I cut that out cold turkey, it's really nice and refreshing for, for a while. But you still struggle with, with addiction, right? Because you start to really miss that. You start to crave that. And it's like any other drug, right? So just because you're in the fucking Amazon rainforest for a week, like, or whatever, doesn't necessarily mean that, like, hey, now your, addic- your addiction is gone. Right. Like, you, you detoxed. 
for a minute, but don't think that itch went away. You know yeah. what I mean? And so you inevitably get sucked back in. Um, and I don't really know what the solution is for that. I think that's like a massive societal change that or would have to happen. I think even in many regards, just the human brain is wired for this sort of stimulus response mechanism. You know it what I mean? It is. We're, it's like we're the, if you to fit our if you get yeah yeah exactly. We are so adaptive. We are so our physiology and psychology is so adapted to that sort of like stimulus. Like if this, uh, you know, it's like, doesn't matter what it is, but if I'm getting positive feedback from this, whatever the whatever it may be, whether it's a like or buying something or whatever, that's what controls us. You're right. That's the motivation. Is that, like, that, that's the addiction, right? Yeah. It's like that feel like hitting that button. Hitting that, I always think of like the lab rats hitting the little, tapping the little. Uh, well, I mean, that's exactly what it is. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I don't know what to do with all that information. You, know, you understand it. You know it. What do you do? I'm going to post about it. That's fucking what I'm I, do. We'll <laughs> fucking create it. We'll create a new society, man. Yeah, we'll all live on an island with no running water. <laughs> <laughs> Primitiviz- primitivization. Oh, so- I don't know. There's, there's like a lot of people... Um, you there's the, aspects of the leftist community that want to go back to a more like hunter-gatherer idealized right, thing. So I, the, I don't know if I'm necessarily there, but I think that in terms of resources, I feel like that is going to be mandated eventually. Live for your die. Have you seen that? I have it's, not. Okay, so it's uh, it's basically well, maybe it's on Discovery Channel or something, but it kind of chronicles uh, a handful of people that are living a super primitive lifestyle, and they've just by choice have decided, hey, I'm going to go try to live in this real primitive lifestyle. Now, you see them, and you're like, that dude's well-fed, and his hair's cut, and like, (laughs) you know, uh, but they're trying to, you know, say, look, I'm going to live out here for a week or a month or as long as they can, and they'll, you know, and they chronicle guys like up in the mountains, up in like the snow, guys out in the Utah desert, uh, people living in the swamplands or whatever, and they all have got their own little set of stuff that, that they're that they're you know trying to do to get by. But the the common thread is that they're all super primitive. So yeah. you know, one guy's a blacksmith and he forges by hand. Another guy is a, a hunter, trapper, fisher guy. So he makes his own trap lines and sells furs. And you know another guy is trying to live 100 percent off the grid. You know another guy is over here trying to build a bamboo structure you know to and you know he said man if i don't if i don't find a rabbit today i don't get to eat yeah you know so i think that's a really fascinating movement but they call it um i want to i got trying to think of the name of it but it's uh rewilding i think is maybe the term that they're using where they're basically trying to go the other direction in evolution and try to really remember some of these primitive skills that we used to have which that was interesting yeah, anyway, that was the whole point of that ramble. Was, <laughs> I think there is a movement in that direction, probably yeah. in a direct response to this super engaged society that we're that we're we're in right now. Right, and I think, I mean, I mentioned this a, a moment ago, but I, I want to dive back into get your thoughts on it. Is you know, in this, in the, in terms of resources, this global capitalistic model. I mean eventually we're going to like we're we're running out <laughs> we're running on borrowed time like sure. this we're not going to be able the planet simply can't sustain a western 
consumption you know what's the fucking i can't even think of the terminology a western standard of living um, for all seven billion like if all seven billion people on the planet were consuming as much resources as we were you know it would take like 1.7 earth worth of resources to fulfill that that gap yeah, I mean, it, it it can't. Not everybody can consume the same amount. And we're it burning. We're burning through resource. You know what I mean? It's like we're burning through the future, through our children's, the future of the human species, resources right now. And uh, kind of ties into that article I sent you yesterday about kind of pointing out that if we taxed all the externalities, or you know these our largest industries are escaping with, they're getting a free ride on all these externalities like. Carbon consumption or pollution, groundwater, land, X, Y, Z. You know what I mean? They're getting sort of a free lunch and it's society is paying for those costs as a whole. Mm -hmm. But these, all the profits being privatized, which is what, that's what ultimately leads me into this sort of like left anarchist space in terms of a political ideal, I guess. Right. Well, I mean, you can't fight against the big guys. Not really. You know? I mean, we can. We can. Are we going to bring about a fucking revolution? I don't know. I don't know if it's possible. I don't, you know what I mean? I'm sort of, uh, there's in philosophy, there's material, materialism. So materialism basically states that everything arises from material, the material conditions. So... Mater- our brain, mater- like our bodies, have to exist first before thought can exist. Sure. So th- everything is arising from f- a physical state of of matter and energy. Okay, that makes sense. I follow that. So to parse that out further, until the material conditions in society and in the world, politically, culturally, ecologically, all these other factors, until it reaches a state where the revolution can occur, it's not going to occur. Now that's circular logic in, in a lot of respects in terms of like a tautology, it's like the chicken and egg, right? Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, well, I don't know so I don't know, is. but at the same, it's like kind of like, you know, I can, I can believe that nothing I do matters ultimately, but I still have to live you know what I mean? So I might as well, like, I'm still going to try to fight to some level. Say, I'm you, not going to totally you, you give fight, in. So that's what I was saying earlier. You fight to what means, like to, to what end? So I'm saying the end is not the actual affecting of the change. The end is only to make yourself feel better, right? Maybe. That's why, that's, that, that's why you fight is to make yourself feel better. So, Or for there, the, possi- the possibility of change. But that's what makes you feel good. Is or thinking the, about like that, that false, the false hope of, <laughs> right. the false hope of change. But the false hope of change makes you feel good, right? So let's just cut all the middle shit out of the I way. I mean, it creates, it, it creates a <coughs> sense of purpose. And I think, I mean, you have to create some sense of, some kind of purpose for yourself, ultimately. Sure. No, no, I think purpose is really important. Uh, I'm actually lacking a huge chunk of purpose right now, personally. I just, uh, I've got this, my existential problem is, I don't know what to do with my life, you know, like... Yeah, Waylon. <laughs> um, is yeah, I'm 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 kind of lacking some general purpose right now, uh, just because, you know, not you know, not not to. It, it sounds kind of shitty to say it, but 
I feel like I've almost got it too good. You know, like, uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not rich. I don't have everything in the world, you know, nothing like that. But I mean, I, I have what I need. I have what I want. Right. And so I don't, you know, I don't have any huge driving motivation or purpose rather to go out and do more. Yeah. So I go through life, I sell some houses, ride some mopeds, go get some (laughs) drinks, get some food, maybe take a trip and then do it over again. Yeah. You know, and it's kind of nice, but at the same time, uh, I'm maybe suffering from not having any purpose or having minimal purpose. And, you know, it's a great Western problem to have. I mean, these are like definitely high class problems. You know, woe is me. You know, what am I going to do with my life? Right. But at the same time, uh, it's still, you know, look at like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Everyone needs to be needed. You get, you have to have purpose. It's, it's high up there in the triangle. Uh, and so I don't, don't really know how to solve that. Um, I think if you make your purpose so great, it's unachievable, you kind of set yourself up for disaster. You know, yeah. My purpose is to affect huge political change. Well, boy, you're just destined for failure. You know, but if you aim too low, oh, my purpose is to stomp on an ant mound. <laughs> well, you, you win, you know? Um, so I don't know what the happy happy medium is between having enough purpose that where you're actually going out and working on something, you feel like you're working on something, but not something so big that you can't actually do it. I don't know. I probably shouldn't write a book called Think Big because it's like, <laughs> the, I'm a think medium. <laughs> don't think too big, you won't get there. Don't think too small, it's not too... It's not, it's not as gratifying to think small. Mm-hmm. At least not super small. Think medium large. It's like you need you need an achievable goal, right? Right. That it, that does require struggle. Yeah. Of some kind. But it's, yeah, it's, but that's kind of you know. I, I mean, I, maybe it's like for me at this point in my life, I've maybe set my goals too low because I've reached all my goals. <laughs> right. Or are you? Here's the thing too: is are you are your goals based on what society is? telling you you should want or where you should be as opposed to like what you feel naturally is your place well yes it's a goal it's a combination so society so i grew up poor and so i had this thirst for the almighty dollar which is part of why i read all these books i thought oh my god everyone says there's millions of dollars in real estate well there's well i don't know where they are yet. <laughs> still looking for all those millions come of on dollars. it's austin you, yeah, have, you haven't it. made a million dollars yet it's somewhere all. it's somewhere <laughs> Um, but that was the whole reason was just because it was purely financially motivated. I didn't, didn't think any further than that. Read some books. I said, Hey, there's a lot of money over here. So I said, okay, I'll go that direction. Well, that's maybe not entirely true. I sold some books. You know, the idea was enough to make me buy the book. Um, but then, uh, so I guess that was a society driven thing. You know, I grew up poor. I didn't want to feel poor. So I pursued a career that said you can maybe earn some money, but that's just society driven, right? Uh, and then I said, okay, well now I want to travel. Well, traveling was something I really liked to do on my own. Right. And so I traveled, but that was really, so then the work became a means to an end. Right. So I work a little bit so I can go travel. But then I traveled enough that now it's, I'm kind of in the what's next phase. And honestly, I'm quite, I'm pretty disenchanted with traveling now because so many people travel for the sake of the fucking Instagram photo. They've undermined the real authenticity of the experience. So the whole reason you travel anyway should be to like what we were talking about earlier, to get away, to get out of the, get out of the loop, to get away from society, to get a really different, unique, authentic experience that'll hopefully rechange your mind, rewire how you think, really give you a fresh perspective. 
but instead you're you're looking at your phone. You're on the top of the fucking mountain, looking at the goddamn screen. <laughs> fucking take your eyes off the screen. I mean, I was I was floored to this one particular trip I took, and uh, it was this beautiful thing. And I I stepped back, and all I saw was the whole group looking at their phone. Now they're all trying to take their picture, right? You want to savor it. But it was just, I mean, I wish I'd taken a picture of the group standing right. on top of the mountain with the most beautiful view ever, looking at the view through a screen. Exactly, dude. This, that's how immersed in the simulation we are, dude, is that we, that's how it has every, the simu, the matrix has you. So point being is now like, so what was once like, oh, I really want to travel to this, this source for really unique experiences. I've now been a little disenchanted with traveling. You because know? you can't, you want to get back to the real man, but right. the real, the, it's an illusion. Right. I thought I'd find the real on the top of a mountain in the middle of nowhere, but no, those motherfuckers all had iPhones. <laughs> like, they fucked up my bubble. I mean, this is also the illusion of the individual, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah in many yeah. ways, in many regards, is like thinking you're some unique individual that makes choices and so is I, unique, but no, you're just a fucking another little. Not, so get the. I consumer. was. Um, I was. Uh, I was reading a. Uh, Oh, it was just some clickbait, and it was like, oh, why is it hard to date in Austin, right? And it was <laughs> talking about Jesus all this Christ. stuff. And, uh, what and it was talking about these, these different types of girls and these different types of guys that exist here in Austin, and da-da-da-da-da, and I thought it was kind of funny. And then I read my, I you, read you found my yourself? paragraph. I was like, oh, my God, it, it nailed me to a T. I was like, well, fuck, man. I, th I, I thought I was unique. I thought I was special. No, dude. I am a paragraph three down from the top <laughs> on the types of dudes in Austin. You are not a beautiful and unique snowflake, my I friend. I am not a beautiful or unique snowflake. <laughs> I'm fucking... I don't know. You're man. a mass-produced, commodified, fetishized. fetishized. Yeah, exactly. I'm a bumper ball. Or you I'm arrived. A, I'm an antenna ball snowman instead. Parents just said, Alexa, bring us a, an infant. <laughs> yeah, right. And well, next thing you know, it was there within 24 hours. Yeah, right. Because <laughs> I have Amazon Double Prime. <laughs> so anyway, I guess where I was going with that is, yeah, I, I felt a little lost in my own individuality just from kind of you know, reading about other other demographics that I thought were different, which are actually not. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, I've lost the, I've kind of, travel's become a little lackluster for me because it's gotten recently popular. It got all hip and trendy, and I think it dovetailed fucking with- fucking hipster. With this, with, I think it dovetailed <laughs> with social media. Be, yeah. Because, you know, it's cool. Oh, how cool am I? Well, look at my cool picture. Well, now I have to go further and further and further to get the cooler and cooler picture. And so now- you know, I, I mean, I, you know, I, I have a joke. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't like Tinder or Bumble or anything, but um, I mean, I, I'm not against it. I, I tried it. To, Another example me. of where life is now simulated. Right. But, you know, the whole joke was, you know, man, I swipe, I swipe left for, for uh, Machu Picchu pictures. Or swipe <laughs> right or swipe, I mean, I, whatever. I, I, I anti-swipe for Machu Picchu. And, uh because there's so many people that have this one classic cliche picture on top of the freaking mountain with Machu Picchu in the background and one of the little uh, you know, alpaca llama goat things in the background. And like everyone's got that fucking picture because it went viral. That was the cool picture to have. So everybody's got it. But Recreating, me, simulating. God, that undermines the very reason for being up there. The reason you should be up there is for like... To find the real to man? To fuck it, to close your <laughs> eyes and feel that goddamn energy of being on top of the world. You know, not to uh, update your, your, your Insta profile.
So anyways, I'm all mad. I'm all jaded. Goddamn travelers. Traveling used to be cool and unique. Now everybody travels. It's all just fucking, it's terrific. So. I mean, the fucking privileged in the West can travel. Well, right. I mean, sure. (laughs) I don't mean to say everybody, uh, (laughs) everybody, everybody, but I mean, everybody in this kind of society that we're talking about. Everyone that's plugged in. Right. So. I take your meaning. I'm just fucking with you. Yeah. Busting your chaps. Busting your fucking <sighs> chops over there. Oh, I don't mind. I take <laughs> it. Yeah, I, I rant a lot, but I don't... Uh, to what end? You know, I don't know. What are we going to do? Stop people from traveling? No. <laughs> you know? Give them to delete their Twitter account? No. Um... Probably just yeah, probably the point of this is I just need to I need to get I need to get my Instagram game going. <laughs> no, <laughs> I dude. Need to get, I need to start snapping it up, dude. You wanna you wanna go further in on the simulation? Yeah, you know, you can't beat them, join them. I think I'm gonna leave this podcast here and I'm gonna up my Twitter game and up my Insta game. And before you know it, I'm gonna snappy chat you, dude. Or chatty snap. No. Snapchat. I, I know I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just kidding. I'm not that playing bad. games. Yeah. games over here yeah. Yeah. Uh, you can follow me and the podcast on Twitter oh I will do only that. got the the illest the illest shit shit posts I gotta get Twitter though dude I my business hasn't has a Twitter account my assistant tweets for me periodically but I don't even know what we tweet <laughs> no dude I'm sure it tweets Austin is great move here <laughs> <laughs> buy a house work it Work at the, have you heard anything about this Amazon headquarters that's supposed to be yeah. all the cities are like fucking tripping over each other's dicks? Uh, I heard there's a, they, I think there's a, um, I think it's, I think they're in conversation with doing a half million square foot uh, warehouse uh, not too far from the domain. Fulfillment center is what yeah. they call them. Because yeah. it's very fulfilling work. Yeah, it is fulfilling work. <laughs> so you know what's really fascinating too about how Amazon does stuff? You know, you think like, um, you may have seen this video, but you would think like you're going to send someone to collect stuff in a warehouse, right? You give a guy a basket and you tell him to go down whatever aisles, get whatever he needs, put them in a box and send them off, right? Yeah. Seems like logically. Well, Amazon, they have the person stand still and the carts, the entire shelves come to the person. So we're talking a 12 or 15 foot storage rack with products, floor to ceiling, are on little automated dollies and they just circle around and you just stand still as the packer, the human element, the packer stands still and pulls stuff off the shelves. It doesn't go to the shelf. The shelf comes to the human. <laughs> my mind when I Autom- saw that. Automation. Um, you need to watch that TED Talk video I sent you to talking about how Amazon has added Walmart's entire market cap to their business within the last six months. I mean, that's fucking insane, dude. No shit. We're talking like upwards of $250 billion in market capitalization in six fucking months. And you know what that is going to do to retail? I mean, even these fulfillment center jobs and to even to talk about like I was reading an article about working in one of these places and they're talking about the way that their metrics worked had something to do with the number of, I don't know, it was something like everybody would be fighting over small packages that had a shitload of items 
versus like a huge pack, like a you a bigger single item package takes long takes longer to process than a bunch of smaller ones. So everybody like that's what people that work there go for is the small so that they can hit this like metric. Oh, I see what you're saying. So they have to be able to ship so many items to hit their metric. Exactly. And so they'd rather stick five little things in a box as opposed to go ship you a tennis racket and a golf club. Right. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. That's interesting. I can't imagine working in one of these places. Um, I mean, dude, it's there are other warehouses, other companies like Net-A-Porter, I think. They have, their shit is fully automated. So... They have like a robot arm that knows where this particular item is at physically, and that goes to that particular, throws it out on the line, and boom, not even, you know, zero human employees really. Aside from, I'm sure they have some type of a maintenance crew or whatever, but like as far as warehouse individuals, the way that even Amazon does it, who's leading the charge in automation, doesn't have, isn't quite on that level yet. We just think about the combination of these two things. Like we're running out of skilled, we're running out of low skill jobs in this country. And what the fuck is going to happen soon? Like it's like this shit is, I mean, whenever Amazon is adding Walmart's entire market cap in six months, dude, that is, that's insane. That's think about that. Well, it's just kind of telltale. I mean, the, the, the tides of employment are shifting. I mean, dramatically. Uh, I mean, they have been already. Oh yeah, I think. for since the '70s. But I mean, this is on a scale that's unprecedented. The speed at which capital can move now is just so much faster at the speed of light. Well, I think you're going to get a bunch of idle people, and idle uh, people. Uh, idle hands are the devil's workshop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, we're going to have to get some get some gladiator games going or something to keep everybody entertained. Get the uh, you know? uni- universal basic income. To yeah. pacify the population. Right, so they don't uphold, or they don't rise up. What's especially disconcerting about it is uh, young men, I think, according to a lot of research that I've read, are going to be more impacted because they're less skilled at the sort of service level, the new service industry. Like, that's where everything is based, is like the service industry model. And young men aren't as equipped to succeed in those roles. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have a lot of unemployed young men roaming the streets. Perfect. Ba- bad for a stable society. Yeah, just what we need for the state. <laughs> bunch, of, bunch of idle dudes, angry, disgruntled, no money. No money, no access to resources, no access to mate mates because they can't make money or have any sort of sure. investment, feel like they're invested in society at all. There's no place for them. Yeah, I I don't know what to say about that. Dude, that's why, I mean, it's, um, you know, my future, it's like, you got to think too, like, how long before, you know, how long before even something like being a realtor is automated? Well, shh, don't tell (laughs) me. They don't really need us that bad. Right? Uh, I mean, it's a secret. Why can't, uh, I feel like general general contracting and, what real estate or like the last two areas that haven't been just totally streamlined by capital. Well, the, sh- the short answer on that is that there's this, uh, this perception that there's a value add. Yeah. Right. And so like, 
you think, you know, the, the thought of buying and selling a house might seem really daunting because it's a really right. big, expensive thing. And so it's that fear that keeps us employed, right? But the reality is like selling a house is kind of like selling a car. You got a lot Or of anything money. else. I mean, ultimately. Yeah, it's just a little bigger. There's it's a lot more stuff that goes along with it, but it's not. There's a bigger, more involved process as well. Right, but like, you know, you sell a car, you check the tires, check the engine, have a mechanic look at it, right? Someone that knows it better than you do, and then you make a decision. Get a bank to loan you the money. But even then, like, the car market is experienced, you know what I mean? A lot of the, you know what I mean? With With things like Carfax... You know what I mean? It's not this. That's they're well, losing that area. Parallel in the sense that they're both big right. ticket items. Yeah, they've got a lot of stuff that goes wrong with them or whatever. Yeah. you have to have experts look at right. them. You need third party help to buy yeah. them, right? So they got some parallels, but people are far more comfortable buying a car, than right? Buying a house, true. Uh, well, so it's a lot less money, but ultimately, that I'm just trying to talk about point out that that sort of it's becoming less and less reliant on the old model of you going to the cart, like this whole process you're describing, that model is going away by and large. Right. Right. Like we're in that, we're definitely in the transition period. I guess the, the biggest thing that we do as realtors is, uh, we provide emotional support. (laughs) We are, we are counselors and therapists and we wear like, you know, nine other hats, um, throughout the transaction. And the biggest thing that I probably do is I give people a baseline for processing. So I help them really know where they stand with regard to the market. I let them know if it's something to actually be worried about or not. Yeah. I, you know, I provide a lot of, you know, I've got a, I've got a house going right now that, um, oh, it's a really nice family. We've got the, they're about to have their second baby. And so you got a uh, pregnant mama over here and, and, uh, and she's all excited about the house and they come in and go, oh, well, we've got a problem with the paperwork. We've got an appraisal issue. you got this, got that. Well, that's a really scary thing, right? Yeah. And so if you're an expecting mother and, uh, and someone says, oh my gosh, you can't go have that new fancy house you want. Your world goes fucking upside down, man. Like that's reasonable, right? You're like, you're about to have another baby. You don't even know what's going on in your house. And so that's something that can be off the charts emotionally. And so, so that's an example where. It would be good for me to be able to be impartial and come in and say, okay, well, here's an issue, but it's really not as stressful as it seems. Let me get your cortisol levels down. <laughs> let me, you know, let me de-stress you. Let me, you know, let me kind of manage your expectations and put this in a nice, you know, little package so that you can swallow it and it's not going to kill you, you know, uh, with regard to the, the stress associated. So that would be, you know, that's kind of like mental counseling. You know, I take a, a family that's freaking out because they got some paper that says no. And I need to be able to say, oh, well, I know the paper says no, but it doesn't really mean no. It just means not right now. It means in a minute. It means X, Y, Z. Yeah. Um, so that's probably the real value that we bring is helping people manage their expectations and manage their emotional roller coaster when they are buying and selling. Because that's, that's what fucks you up, man. You're making a decision when you're emotional. It's probably not the right decision. Yeah, for sure. Anyways. Um, but yeah, we don't provide any real raw value. I mean, Redfin will tell you what's available for sale, what the comps are, what they sold for. Uh, Zillow will give you plenty of stats. Trulia will give you neighborhood demographics. You can figure out whatever the hell you want to know as a consumer. You just need me to open the door. 
Right. Because that's our last little line of defense. <laughs> well, we no one can have a key. I've got the special key. <laughs> I've got the special key. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's kind of the... That's know, pretty funny. I've never really thought other, about my that. My other realtor but... friends are going to fucking string me up and fucking <laughs> lynch me for undermining Spilling the secrets, man. But whatever, man. I hate self-important people. In fact, I mean, realtors are my like least favorite profession now and you're I say really that fucking with, up i say that with air quotes now you're really fucked bro. well because really it's <laughs> not really a profession right you like to tout ourselves like well we're businessmen and you know doctors lawyers realtor whoa 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 did you just say doctor lawyer and realtor in the same <laughs> sentence get the fuck out of here man uh a realtor is like a distant third and probably not even in the same category right uh but people posture is these really big you know so it lends itself to people putting on airs, yeah. right? Which is probably my least favorite thing about the industry, you know, because people got their fancy car and their fancy suit and their face fancy on this, the side of a bus. Oh my God, right? Mr. Dream Home. I mean, he's actually a nice guy. I like him, <laughs> Mike Mins, I like him. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's it lends itself to this kind of real showy, posturing uh, kind of position and I just shy away from all that stuff, you know? It's all, yeah. it's all kind of showy, so... I don't know what the, I'm, all, I'm on a rant over here, but <laughs> anyway, so I've, I've chosen to go the other end of the spectrum where I'm all like fucking flip flops every single day. You go on the David Comey route. Yeah, I'm going the, <laughs> the people's real estate I, I agent. I called out the other day for being the David Comey of realtors. Like, dude, you're the David Comey of realtors. I was like, you know it. <laughs> it's not right here. <laughs> um, at any rate, well, I don't know what the point of that was, but yeah, everything's getting automated. We're needed less and less and less. And really at this point, it's just uh, for emotional support is how I view it. Man, it's a scary time. All those, all that surplus labor that's out there, what's going to happen to it when shit really starts contracting? You know what I mean? When well, that combined when, with when all the, the guns we have available, all the social media, all the ease of spread of information. So, I mean, like people can mobilize in an instant. You know, if they want to, there's like, uh, the know. government can also fucking drone strike you. Uh, they can send a little fucking yeah. drone over here right now. They could send a drone and fucking waste us both. Well, Boom. You need to stop talking like that. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> I want a missile blowing up your house. Um, yeah. Some murder for the cause, man. Murder for the cause. <laughs> well, let me, let me get, let me get out of here real quick for <laughs> Beforehand. Right before those tomahawks get launched. Yeah, I can't even imagine that shit. I can't even imagine the prospect of going to war. I mean, it just uh, all that stuff is far out of my psyche. Like, I just can't. Like, we don't really have like a framework to even imagine that kind of stuff. You can watch all the war movies you want, and you know, but until you're like been in combat with someone shooting at you, and you see some terrible shit, and you have to shoot someone that you kind of don't want to shoot. Like, I just don't, I can't even fathom that, man. Like, my heart goes out to servicemen and women who have been in that position because I know that I just couldn't, uh, I just couldn't even be in that position. It's like a, ugh, it's hard to even have a framework for reference. Right. You just cannon fodder, too, for the, you know what I mean? Like, when's the last time we were in a war that actually... Well, so, soldiers often say they say there's two wars. You've got the the politicians' war and you got the soldiers' war. You yeah, know? I mean, on the micro level, it's like you're there for your fellow soldiers and people that are in your unit or platoon or whatever. But ultimately, it's like 
you're just serving this fucking giant mechanism right that wants to you're a cog on the wheel yeah exactly it wants to access to more access to resources or what have you i will say though that a lot of that global uh, like the global politics and stuff it's a lot more complicated than we think i mean this stuff is so intertwined you know it's like you know we we protect the heroin fields and the opium fields of afghanistan so that they are able to sell that heroin and then create and then give some income to the local economy because without any income, if we torch the opium fields, then they have no income and then you have social unrest, right? So we take the lesser of the two evils. Like, do we want more social unrest in this country or do we want to let them sell some heroin and at least they're eating, right? You know, so, I mean, that's maybe a bad example. Like, it's... <laughs> There's, I think, plenty of scenarios like that where you you do something that's seemingly bad, but the reality is it's like a greater good philosophy, and it's and that's the reason you do it. You know, I think a lot of that stuff takes a, a huge amount of understanding to even know why we do certain things. So I I still I, I don't want to overjudge the politics because I don't <clears throat> I don't know the, the facets of all the situations, but. Um, I know that stuff is kind. Of, I know that stuff is really intertwined far more than, than we maybe give it credit for. You know, it's kind of scary. As I read a an article in the failing New York Times, the failing <laughs> the failing New York Times. <laughs> That's funny. Um, it was actually kind of alarming because apparently China is building all these refugee camps north of the North Korean border, hmm. which seen. You know what I mean? That's that's very scary to me. How is China able to build? Well, so across the, you know, because North Korea, their northern borders with China. Right. So they're they're building these refugee camps anticipating some oh, kind of situation, some type of, yes, some type of geopolitical mm-hmm. conflict with North Korea. Hmm. So North Korea, which is super alarming. So, so wait, what side are the camps in North Korea, or the camps are in China? The camps are in China, for, but, for the North Koreans, right? They're and they're anticipating North Koreans being displaced, migrating across the border to escape conflict, to escape whatever, whatever. to escape Donald Trump's tweets. <laughs> exactly, Rocket Man. Yeah, shit. Hmm. Well. Which I mean, that to me, that's that's not just posturing, right? That's like, yeah, they're yeah. taking, they're spending money, a lot of money, in preparation well, for something. Yeah, I mean, it, you could also say it's an ounce of an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of headache, you know. So true. Better build them a couple years earlier. I mean, they're probably barracks. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like. I mean, yeah. They're not. No, they're not building fucking. A resort there for these people. That's for sure. Well, so how do we bring all this full circle? I don't even know what we started. I don't even know what we started talking about. We started talking about what it would take to get you to be more politically engaged, even if it was at the very micro, citywide or neighborhood wide. The short answer is I just have to feel good about myself. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about you. It's all basically. about me, dude. It's all about me. But that's what drives everybody, man. No matter, I don't give a fuck what people say, man. Everyone is driven by their own personal greed or want or motivation. You know, 
you're over there helping a homeless person, man, you're doing it because it makes you feel good. You know, like at the end of the day, like we're all driven by what makes us feel good. And to say otherwise, uh, you're a liar. But what's, uh, let me, ref- how about this? Let me give you a better, let me give you a better way to look at this picture. Regardless of whether you're benefiting from, let's let's skip past that and let's look at the stance of what's more rewarding for you to create a valueless product, like you know what I mean, like some disposable product, or for you to create, you know what I mean. What's would it be more valuable to you to build a house in your neighborhood? or to make some consumable good that's going to get thrown away? Mm. I don't see how they compare. I mean, like, for, to, to, to what end? You, know, like, you mean like what would make me feel better? Yeah, exactly. What's going to make you... What's, oh, what's uh, of more benefit for you? Uh, what would you, what do you feel like uh, offhand? A house in my neighborhood. Exactly. Sure. Regardless, but uh, your motivation is still selfish, right? But you're develop, you're deriving a lot more satisfaction by impacting something directly than creating this abstract product that's going to be consumed by whomever, yeah, wherever. exactly, yeah. Whether that be an advertisement or you know some stupid plastic figurine, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I would. Uh... Yeah, I'd probably probably want to build the house. It's tangible. It's close. I can see it, feel it, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, A a regular product that just kind of out in the world. It'd probably have sugar in it. Probably probably wouldn't do anybody any favors. Right, high fructose corn syrup. Yeah, right. It's going to give somebody diabetes. Called sugar chips. Called (laughs) called diabetes chips. Exactly. Hmm. So act local, man. That's my message. Well, I act local, but I act hyper-local. I mean, so local. <laughs> so that local like, that it only encapsulates your physical being. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe my neighbor, you know. Uh, I'll mow my neighbor's lawn or something like that, you know. Hey, that's something, man. Yeah. That's spreading something uh, of value, I, mean, I think. I spread a lot. I probably talk worse than I am. Yeah. But um, Better to talk worse than to... Act worse. Yeah. Talk good and act worse. Yeah. I'm a saint. Let me show you what a saint I am. Go run over somebody. <laughs> exactly. Uh, all right, man. Well, I got to, I feel like I got to, I'm itching. Right on. All right. I think uh, we've reached a good stopping point. So that, thanks for coming on again, man. Yeah, man. It was my pleasure. And I guess, uh, I don't know. Keep it, keep it local. <laughs> Build houses in your neighborhood. Build houses. So that your property value drops. (laughs) And then let me sell them for you. (laughs) All right. We are going to sign off, Schizoid fans, until next week.